Amen. Christy, will you go ahead and, and flip those pictures up? I'm going to show you all some pictures that we got just recently of the church in Guatemala. These are the windows all getting put in. There they're in. That's what they look like on the outside. So see the bottom part flips out. You can, that lets air go in and out. The upper part's solid. That was the last one. Go back one or two. There was one. Um, one more. One more. Right there. Okay, I know it's kind of hard to see, but if you see the, the bottom part of the window where the, the, the last uh, runner runs across, you see that's the tree level you see outside. And that tree is probably, oh, 30 or 40 foot tall. So to get you an idea of how high it is. So then the upper part that you're looking over, if you can kind of see a hint right at the top of it, that is a mountain that's way off over there. So literally when you stand there and you look, you're looking over higher than you can ever even imagine because the, the altitude, I mean, the elevation so high that you're looking out over that whole big giant valley. So anyway, it's awesome. So we got that up. Praise God. So that's all looking good. Looking good. Um, well, praise God. Right, get your Bibles out. I want to share a word with you this morning, but we're going to get, I want to show you a little clip of something here in just a second. But uh, let, me just, let me just bring everybody up to snuff. Hope everybody had a great Thanksgiving. Everybody eat too much? Do I need to pray for sugar diabetes or anything this morning? <laughs> but uh, I hope you had a great time with your family and all. That's what, that's what holidays should be about is family and getting together. And I just been believing God for all of y'all's families to be reunited and, and blessed and touched and, and they just have great, great, great holidays. But... Uh, I want to go ahead and I want to continue to this message I've been talking about on the move of God because I really believe God's trying to do something in our midst and I, and I, I just, and I just got some more stuff on it. So I want to share this with you uh, on the move of God. And, but I got a clip I want to show you this morning, okay? Now, uh, this is one of my favorite movies. It comes off of a movie, okay? Uh, I won't tell you which movie until you see it and then everybody should know. Uh, if you've never seen it, then everybody should have to go home and watch it, but... I, I, it all has to do with, you know, when you have a move of God that starts in your life, all right? You say, I want a move of God. Well, the move of God started in your life the day you met Jesus, amen? And so go ahead and, and shut the lights off and run this clip here and let, let everybody see this. And What are you thinking, Davey? Not thinking. Suffer he presents the answer for wish he'd been bigger. I reckon old St. Pete's gonna slam my pearly gates right smack dab in my face. There ain't no pearly gates. When you're dead, you're meat for the worms. That's all there is to it. You mean you don't believe in no afterlife, no hereafter? Tales for children. Bunk them in Bosch. I say this. I believe. I can never find a way to argue down you that don't believe. But I believe in the Lord God Almighty, all-knowing and all-forgiving. And 
I believe that good shall be triumphant in the end and that evil shall be vanquished. I believe in a hereafter. Me too. I figure a man's got to believe in those things. Does he want to believe in the good things about man? About his very own self? The real good things? Like courage, honesty, and love. Now, how can he go wrong with John Wayne and the Alamo this morning? I mean, it's got to be the greatest message I've ever preached, right? This clip right here of where the, that actor... Uh, he was being, his, his name is Jocko in the movie, and Jocko stands up and says, I do, I do believe in the Lord God Almighty in the midst of, of adversity, knowing that they were going to, you know, they're lose their lives probably the next day, and that they were going to meet their maker. And there's a one man who says, there ain't no hereafter. Now, this is just a portrayal of life today. And everywhere you go, there's going to be somebody, I'm going to guarantee, that's going to be standing there saying, ah, there you, when you die, you're like a dog, you're just going to be food for the worms. There's always going to be that person. But there's always going to also be people like Jocko standing around and said, look, I may not know everything. Kind of like the blind man that, that you know, Jesus healed his eye and, and he saw. And the Pharisees said, who is this guy? And, who? and he says, look, I don't know. All I do know is I was blind and now I see. And so, you know, there comes a place when God starts to move in your life. You say, look, I may not be able to explain it all, but all I know is I was blind and I couldn't see nothing and now I can see things differently. All I know is this is the way I was going. This is what life was doing for me. But all I know is now is God is my deliverer. God is my source. I believe in the almighty God. Amen? That's the day the move of God starts in your life. Listen to me. There's no other, there's no other experience that you can have. There's no other uh, 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 you know, great church service or something like that. It, the, the move of God starts in your life the day that you make Jesus Christ the Lord and Savior of your life. The day that you know he's real. The day that you can stand up like Jocko and say, I know. I can't prove you guys wrong, but all I know is I know. Amen? Amen. Look at the person beside you and say, I know what he's talking about. And I got to thinking about this and I got to look into the Bible and, and, and what I want to do this morning is I'm going to go through right just for a little bit here, a series of people in the Bible that had the same experience as Jocko. Okay. The first one you're going to find is in Genesis chapter 12. In Genesis chapter 12, you find the story of Abraham starting out live. Now, Abraham was a rock worshiper. Okay. In that, that country, in that region, then they were idol worshipers. They just worshiped rocks. They didn't, they, they didn't know the Lord God. They didn't know God Almighty. But it says now in verse 1, Genesis 12, 1, Now the Lord had said to Abraham, Get out of your country and from your family and from your father's house to a land that I will show you. And I will make you a great nation and I will bless you. And I will make your name great. And you shall be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you and I will curse those who curse you. And in all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abraham departed as the Lord had spoken to him. And Lot went with him. And Abraham was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. Okay, so here's Abraham. He doesn't know, he doesn't know God, but he has a move of God in his life. Everybody say a move of God. He had a move of God in his life. He heard God so much so that he was willing to leave his family, his security, his, all of the things that he knew and venture out into a promised land. He was willing to leave behind the family uh, heirs, the traditions, the, all the stuff. Go out into the promised land because he believed God said that he would bless him. 
Amen? Listen to me. The day that you make Jesus Christ the Lord and Savior of your life, you leave the, the, the world, this world of the enemy, the devil, the darkness. He says you can't translate it out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of the Son of God. You step out of what is normal to the world. The world this morning says, why waste a day before you got to go back to work and go to church on a Sunday? The world says, why do you waste your time praying? The world says, why do you give your money? The world says, why? You know, who would, who would tithe? Because it doesn't make sense to the natural man. But because something happened to you because a move of God started in your life, now all of a sudden you stepped over in the other kingdom and things look differently. You see things differently. That's what happened to Abraham. Let me show you another one here. Go over to chapter 28, Genesis 28. Look at the story of Jacob. Now here's Jacob in verse 10. It says, now Jacob went out of Beersheba and he, and he went towards Haran and he came to a certain place and he stayed there all night because the sun had set. And he took one of the stones and he, of, and of that place and put it on his head. And he laid down in that place to sleep. And he dreamed. And behold, a ladder was, was set up to earth, and its top reached to heaven. And the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord God of Abraham, your father, the God of Isaac. And the land in which you lie will give you and your descendants. And your descendants shall be as the dust of the earth. And you shall spread abroad to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. And you and in all your seed, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Behold, I am with you and I will keep you wherever you go. And I will bring you back to this land for I will not leave you until I have done what I have spoken of to you. Then Jacob awoke from his sleep and he said, surely the Lord is in this place. And I didn't know it. Hey, you know, that's where a lot of people are. God is in their midst and they don't know it. Hello? He said, God, he said, surely I'm in your midst and didn't know it. I was afraid and said, how awesome is this place? This is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. Then Jacob rose early in the morning. He took a stone that he had, put it in his head. He set it up as a pillar, poured oil on top of it and called the name of the place Bethel. And is the name of the city, which is, was previously called Lutz. And Jacob made a vow saying, if God be what? Be with me and keep me in this way. I'm going to give me and give me bread to eat and clothing to put on so that I come back to my father's house in peace. And the Lord God shall be my God. And this stone, which I've said is a pillar, shall be God's house. And all that you give me, I will surely give a tenth to you. Now, where do you get that? In other words, he had an experience with God that he saw God as his provider. He saw him as El Shaddai, the all-sufficient one. And immediately, Jacob's heart, you know what Jacob's name meant? It, it, it means supplanter. In other words, deceiver, tricker. All right? But yet he met God and it changed him so much. He said, look, I, from now on, I'm just going to tithe. What happened? Touch his heart. Same thing with Zacchaeus. Remember, Jesus is walking down the road. Zacchaeus is up in a tree. And he comes up and says, hey, what? hey, <laughs> get on down out of that tree. We're going to come. Eat with you. And he goes in the house and nobody says anything about giving. And Zacchaeus says, if I've wronged anybody, I'll give him half. And, you know, I'm going to restore. Nobody said anything about giving. Nobody said anything about money. But when, G when Zacchaeus got in the presence of, the, of God through Jesus, got in the presence of God and he saw God, it caused him to just want to give. 
Now listen to me, folks. I, I, I'm just, I'm, I'm, I'm throwing this out there. Just hear me. I've noticed this in people's lives. When people truly know Jesus, they get to be generous. And when people don't know Jesus, they're tightwads. I'm talking about with their love, with their emotions, with their, 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 their everything in their life. When a person doesn't know Jesus, they tend to be selfish and self-centered. When they, don't, when they know Jesus and he, they meet God and it's real, well, then they always know God's going to provide for them again and they become generous. They become generous with their time, with their love, with their everything. There's a change in life. There's a move of God going on in life. Hello? I'm telling you these things, folks, this morning because this church is going to be the greatest discipleship-making church on the face of the earth. We're going to make more disciples per capita than anybody else. Okay, I'm just telling you that this is where the church is going. And you got to understand these principles. You got to know what happened to you. And then you got to be able to recognize it in others so that you can help make disciples. You can got to understand humanity and people. Listen, when somebody's selfish and self-centered, I question their, if they really came face to face with the almighty God. And you say, well, Pastor, that's kind of harsh. How can you judge that and say that? I don't know. I'm not going to judge them. I'm just saying I question it. There's a difference. I'm not going to throw them out of church. I'm not going to say you can't come. I'm just saying, I just question if you really have met Jesus, if you're selfish and self-centered. Because it throughout the scriptures, the people that meet God tend to love, tend to be generous, tend to, to be open, tend to think about, about giving more than taking. All right? Let me give you another one here. Let's go to old Job. Now, Job's a, one of the oldest books in the Bible. People read Job and get all kinds of crazy thinking and come up with all kinds of crazy doctrine. God's trying to kill you, which isn't so. Job was a man who was self-righteous. Everything Job did, he did by works. And it's a whole t the whole book of, of, the book of Job is, is to try to tell humanity that no matter how much you try to do things yourself and become self-righteous and do things right, you're still going to fall very short of what makes a man righteous because the only way you can be righteous is by the blood of Jesus. There is no other way. Well, in Job 19, 25, you know, Job's been, everything's been wiped away. Everything's gone. But Job does something. See, even though Job was making some mistakes in his life, he rose up and he says this in verse 25, 19, 25. For I know that my Redeemer lives and he shall stand at last on the earth and after my skin is destroyed, this I know, that in my flesh I shall see God. Another, another characteristic of a person who has come face to face with God on this earth is the knowing on the inside that you're going to meet him again. Hello? Is a knowing that you're going you're gonna to stand before God. Now listen to me. That does two things for me. One, it brings joy into my heart because I know God is a righteous God. And I want to be in heaven and I want to stand for a righteous God, not where there's not, you know, crooked and wicked things going on with men and the manipulation of men. And I can stand before God and know that everything's going to be right. Okay? I look forward to the millennial reign of Christ where Jesus is in charge and there's no crooked judges or politicians or this or that or the other. Hello? No politics going on. But on the other hand is, there's also a fear of God put on the inside of me, knowing that I'm going to stand before God and that all is going to be exposed. 
That's why I'm always quick to repent. I don't put off repentance. I, put a, I keep repentance going all the time because I do not want to stand and God says, okay, we're going we're gonna to replay that video. And I'm like... <laughs> you know, always talking about identity thieves coming in and stealing your stuff off your computers and stuff like that. Well, if they stole anything off mine, you know, I don't even know what's on there. I'm not hiding anything. I got nothing to hide. I don't even know how to work the thing half the time and whatever is on there. And anytime I've gone to a site that's wrong, uh, like one time I went to uh, whitehouse.com looking up uh, something for in the, in, in the elections or something, and that do not go there. That is not the White House website. That is a bad site. So I said, Laura! <laughs> Help! But, it, you know, you don't have anything to hide. You don't worry too much about it, Right? And so you don't have anything to hide, but still you got to have to go stand before Jesus. I mean, whew. So a person who's come face to face with God knows two things. One is the good news is I'm going to get to see him again. All right. And then the good, the bad news is I'm going to get to see him again. Right. It's kind of a. So there's a fear of God on the inside of you. Say, so yeah, I, I want to live right because I've got to answer for this. So you don't want to cheat somebody. You don't want to do something wrong. You don't want to undercut somebody. You don't want to do this because you know you have to answer for it and you're not going to get away with it. When a person has a move of God in their life, they realize this. Okay? Let me show you another one here. Go to the New Testament, Luke chapter 5. Am I making sense this morning? Praise God for the Holy Ghost. Luke chapter 5, verse 1. Story of Jesus and Peter. It says, So it was as the multitude pressed about him to hear the word of God, that he stood by the lake of Gennesaret, and he saw two boats standing by the lake. And the fishermen had gone into them, and they were washing their nets. Then he got into one of the boats, which was Simon's, and he asked him to put out a little farther from the land. He sat down, and he taught the multitude from the boat. And as he stopped speaking, he said to Simon, Launch out in the deep and let down your net for a catch. And Simon answered and said to him, Master... We've toiled all night and caught nothing. Nevertheless, at your word, I will let down the net. Now, when they had done this, he caught a great number of fish and the net was breaking. So they signaled to their partners and to the other boat to come to help them. They came and they filled both the boats so that they were beginning to sink. Now, when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, depart from me. I'm a sinful man. The third thing here about when somebody has a move of God in their life, you're convicted of sin. Now, to me, I'm, I'm, I'm honest. Y'all all know I'm, a, I'm an open book here, and I always preach that way. I, I, I am always convicted of sin. I just want you to know I'm always convicted of sin. I do not have the righteous thought first on every occasion. Somebody does something to me, I've said, I'm going to, and the Holy Ghost says, I wouldn't. <laughs> and then I'm like, convicted, and say, well, that's right, I shouldn't, but I want to. And he said, well, don't. And there's this wrestle on the inside of me. I don't just say, oh, brother, yes, let me turn the other cheek. I haven't gotten to that place yet. I've been serving the Lord for 35 years. I have not gotten to that place yet. I, want, I would like to be there. I would like to just say, oh, yes, throw another blow. 
but I'm not there yet. Because the first thing that pops up into me is, and then I'm like, Holy Ghost says, no. And I'm like, you're right. Okay? If you're there, listen to me, if you're there, that's good. Because at least you're being convicted and you know you're being convicted. There's nothing wrong with that. Repent. It's when you already don't listen to the Holy Ghost that I know what you're thinking, but I got a better idea. And then you do it, then you're in trouble. Hello? But a person who has a move of God going on in their life, there is conviction. You do not want to do wrong. You do not want to cheat. You do not want to lie. You don't want to have to throw punches. All right? Because there's something happened. I can't explain it to you. I, I'm just telling you, when you meet Jesus, he does this to us. He makes us generous. He makes us where, you know, we, we, we're walking with the fear of God in our lives. He makes us to where we don't want to sin. It happens in a moment, a second. This is what a move of God looks like. See, I'm trying to put this as simple as I can, church, because too long churches have just gone along and preached and said, yes, all you must be saved. Repent and be saved. And then that's it. But we got to understand what happens to us. Something happens on the inside of us. That's how we know we met Jesus, because he changed us. And if you don't have that experience, if it's all just head knowledge, okay, well, let's see. Let's see, what does the book say? Okay, we're supposed to do this and this and this, and okay. Well, this is what it says to do. Let's do it. Like, have you ever, I hate it, to try to put something together like a piece of furniture or something that you bought that comes and it's in a box this big, you know, and, 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 and you're, it's all just laid out in there and you get the sheet out and some, <laughs> excuse me, ladies, I don't mean this in offense, but some woman from China wrote it through Google Translation, and you're supposed to try to figure out how to put A and B together and make it with PC and get this thing all up in there right there. And I don't know what it's doing. I try to trust them and just follow the instructions. Okay, what is, you know, lay it all out. Okay, what is piece A? And try to, which way do you turn it all like that? But it doesn't usually, I don't usually have success because somewhere in there I can't understand the translation. If you're trying to serve God like that, you're just reading the book and trying to lay out the pieces and do it. You don't really have any inspiration all right? That's not true salvation. That's in your head. No, you got to do it from your heart. It's, it's a part of you. You don't know why. You know, it's like that time I was in Africa, and, and, and I've told you all this story. I think it's, it's story number 23. So if y'all just laugh, I'll just go on. I won't even tell it, you know? told it so much, but it's a perfect example. We were sitting outside. We'd been over in Africa, and we were building a, on a, a church over there. And we'd been working out in the Kalahari Desert all day. It was hot. We were, man, we were just, and it was so hot you couldn't go in the rooms. There was, and there's all kinds of bugs and flies and everything. And we were all out there and sitting outside and trying to drink something and just get cool. And there was a bar attached to this hotel. And well, it was kind of rowdy. And we were all just sitting there watching. And in a minute, this guy comes stumbling out of the bar. He comes walking up there. He sits down at the table. We're all over and wants to talk to us. And so we start talking to him. And he's he's pretty lit. And uh, in a minute, he says, oh, so y'all are Christians? And I said, yes, sir, we're Christians. And he says, oh, weak-minded people. He said, the only person's a Christian, somebody's weak-minded. You can't even live for yourself. You have no abilities. You don't know how to do anything. You're just, you're just weak-minded. And so I said, okay, you know, I'll let it go. And then he said, uh, you can't even prove there's a God. And it just hit me. And I said, sir, I can prove there's a God. He said, you cannot. I said, I can. I said, I can take, prove there's a God because he changed my heart and my life. And before he would have, I'd use your face as a mop on the floor right now. 
but I'm not going to. See, God changed my life. And he got so mad when he jumped up and he said, oh, you want to be like that? So he goes into the bar. I said, we thought it was all over with. He comes out with the biggest guy I've ever seen in my life. This guy's big. And I was like, oh, man. And so he comes out. He's huge. And he walks over there and he says, y'all are trying to get in a fight with my friend? And I said, no, sir, that's not the truth at all. Let me just explain what happened. He was giving us a hard time for being Christians. I said to him, I could prove God was real. I would have used his faith as a mop for the floor. And now I'm not going to because I love Jesus and I'm not going to go there. And he looked at the guy and said, you're not a Christian? <laughs> and I said, thank you, Jesus. And he said, well, you know I'm not a Christian. I'm an atheist. He said, what am I doing in business with you if you're not a Christian? And then those two got in a fight. <laughs> and so off they went and nothing was happened, you know. But praise God, something happens on the inside of you. You know there's a change. Hello? Okay, so Peter, he was convicted of sin that he couldn't do wrong. He said, that's wrong. I can't do that. Jesus, you're in my midst. I know something's wrong. I'm convicted. I'm a sinner. You need to leave, okay? But then let's look at another one with Peter. Let's look at Matthew 16, 13. Matthew 16, 13. It says, now when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples saying, who do men say that I am? And so they said, some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, others say Jeremiah, one of the prophets. And he said to them, but who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter answered and said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Another person, this fourth person that's had a move of God in their life or this, this, is, is when it's not just you're convicted of sin. There's something on the inside of you that says, no, Jesus is real. It's not a story. It's not a fable. You know in your, down in your inside, your, in your spirit, man, you know that Jesus arose from the dead. You didn't have to be there and see it. You know it's true. You're not trying to convince yourself. You're not going through the good church doctrine. You're not just going because the Bible says so. You know down here it's true. That you could see in your scene, you could see the scene in your mind 2,000 years ago of the Jesus coming up from the grave. Amen? You know it. That's what happened to Peter. He said, look, I know. I don't know what everybody else is saying about you, but I know who you are. You're the son of God. You're not, I'm adding this. You're not a dead God. You're a living God. You're real. Amen? Okay. So he said, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you. So another thing here about when you have a move of God in your life, you get a revelation from heaven. God Almighty's talking to you. You say, well, Pastor, I don't know. You know, No, no listen to me. You're, you're available. You're hooked up. You're wired. Whether you got the transistors turned to the right radio or not, the right uh, station or not, that's up to you. But you're wired and inspired to hear from heaven. Everybody say, I can hear from heaven. I'm telling you what, God can speak to you, talk to you. You say, oh, well, uh, you know, what's it going to be a big booming voice, whatever? I don't know. I, I've, been, I've been driving down 1050 this last week every day, and, and I've just been noticing, I, I, and I wonder how many people notice it. Have you noticed the trees changing? Every day they're a little different. Every day there's another one that, that was, you know, in, a, in just kind of a, a brown state that all of a sudden jumped out and it's bright red now. Or an orange one, or it's just, it's like it's alive and the hills are changing. 
When I see things like that, it makes me know God's real. How can he make such a beauty? Oh, it just all happened, just two planets smashed together, and it's a big bang, and it all just worked out like that. That's more of a miracle than there being on a God. And you say, you say and, and I'm telling you, I hear God speak to me through that. He's telling me. I look at that, and he says, Lord, you know, and reminds me that there's seasons in my life, and seasons change, and there's beauty in every season. See, I don't have to hear a big, giant, booming voice. I can look around me, and God can be speaking to me. Say it again. A sense of peace. You look out there and you just, you know, folks, uh, and, and Dr. Brown and I have been visiting a lot about the healing center and, and, and about different things. And they're talking so much about how people uh, are healed or have a, 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 a healing, uh, a heal quicker by being able to look at nature. Put it that way. Okay. And how a patient that can look out a window and see a tree, it will heal 50% faster than a person that's looking at a brick wall. And how nature has something else. And, and that they call it, you know, nature blindness in, in us because we live in such beauty. We live in all these things and we get so busy in life we quit looking at it. We just go out there and we don't notice the trees. We don't notice the, the, the peace. We don't notice uh, we were going down the road and there was some tourists in front of us and and they slowed down to look at the river and everything. And Laura said, oh, yeah, just stop in the middle of the road. And I said, I said, I'll let them. I said, we take it for granted to watch water running. I mean, they get to see sewer running, you know, or something. <laughs> and we all take it for granted that to watching the water run, go over the rocks and this and that and the other. And we just all say, oh, yeah, you know, that, ah, I got splashed water on my truck, you know. Or, Are you all with me? We got to quit doing that, church. We got to quit because we live in the most beautiful place in the world. And we, 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 we've got all this beauty around us. We've got all the hills and all this stuff. And we just start taking it for granted. You know, get your cup of coffee. Go out this afternoon. Get on your porch and have a, have a, have a time with God by just looking at the beauty of everything around you. Amen? Okay. So it's a revelation to you. Okay? It's a revelation to you. Now, here's one I really like. Acts chapter 9. The Apostle Paul. Acts chapter 9, verse 1. It says, And Paul, still breathing out threats and murders against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked letters from him to the, to the synagogues of Damascus, so that they found anyone who was there of the way, whether men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now as he journeyed, they came near Damascus. Suddenly a light shone around about him from heaven, and he fell to the ground. And he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? Then the Lord said, I am Jesus whom you're persecuting. It's hard for you to kick against the pricks and the goads. So he trembling and astonished, he said, Lord, what do, I, what do you want me to do? Now, here you go. You know, in all of our experiences, we're all, we can kind of see ourselves in, in, in each one of these people because all of us have a different experience of the move of God starting in our life. Some of us are, are like Peter, you know. Uh, you met Jesus and, uh, by, uh, by an experience and you were convicted of your sin. Maybe you'd been raised in church and then one morning you were convicted of your sin and you gave your heart to Jesus. I don't know. Some of us, which a lot of us are like Paul, we just had to get knocked off our donkey, which is what happened to me. I just got knocked off my donkey and hit the ground and I was blind and I said, Jesus, yeah, this is you. And then I turned my heart around. It's a shame that sometimes we got to go to the bottom before we'll look up. But it happens to a lot of us. Amen? We met Jesus. But the good news is we met Jesus. 
No matter what the situation was, no matter what the circumstance was, the good news is we met Jesus. Amen. And so like Paul here, he's, he, he, he meets Jesus on the road. Now, hear me out. He's doing what he thinks is good. Right? He's a Pharisee. And he thinks stopping this movement that's getting away from church the way they knew it, it was a good thing. So he's hauling people to prison, not thinking about he's hauling people to prison, but he's wanting to do good. So Paul's heart had a composition in it to do good. He just had it all messed up. So Jesus knocked him off his donkey. And that's where some of us are in life. I just caught something right there, but I can't, I can't even preach it, see? Knocked him off his donkey onto the other word for a donkey. I bet I could make a book out of that one. Oh, forgive me, Jesus. Okay, Acts 16, go to Acts 16. Let me show you another one here. Acts 16, 25. This is the jailer. At midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prisons were shaken, and immediately all the doors were open, and everyone's chains were loosed. And the keeper of the prisons awoke from the sleep, seeing the, pr the prison doors open, supposing the prisoners had fled, drew his sword and was about to kill himself. But Paul called out with a loud voice, saying, do yourself no harm, for we're all here. Then he called for a light, and he ran, and he fell down trembling before Paul and Silas, and he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Again, the jailer here, you see, had a heart to do good. He was, he was trying to keep the jail. Everything he's done is gone. Everything he's, he thinks all the prisoners are escaped. He's going to kill himself. Then he realizes, wait a minute, there's something supernatural going on here. And he said, what do I have to do? be saved. He knew that he had been confronted and he ran into, into the face of Jesus and knew that that was, he needed to do something, right? And look what happens. It says, they spoke the word of the Lord to him and all who were in the house. And he took them that same hour at night. He washed their stripes. He immediately, he and all of his family were baptized. He and all of his family were baptized. You see it? He and all of his family were baptized. In other words, this, this jailer gets saved, but it, it already has an immediate effect that comes off on his family and all of his family gets saved. That's what the move of God's about. It's what happens on the inside of you gets off on all your family and everybody else around you. The first mission field we all have is our family right around us. That's our first mission field to make disciples right there. Okay, I got one more. Luke 23. Luke 23. Verse 39, the thief on the cross. It says, And one of the criminals who were hanging, blasphemed him, saying, If you are Christ, save us and yourself, or yourself and us. But the, others, but the other answered and rebuked him, saying, Do you not even fear God, seeing you were under the same condemnation? And we indeed jest, for we received the due reward. For our deeds, but this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said to Jesus, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus answered and said, Surely today you'll be with me in, my, in, with me in paradise. 
Here's the thief at the moment has enough sense hanging on the cross to say, rebuke his friend and say, Jesus, you are the son of God. Now, it doesn't make sense, but if you're being crucified on a cross, but I can guarantee you that that thief had peace. There was peace came upon him right there on the cross hanging beside Jesus while others were still hurling insults. This is what I want to tell you, church. Everyone's going to have a different experience. You cannot cookie-cutter it up and say, oh, this is, this is what it's going to happen. Oh, this is going to happen to you. And, oh, no, no, no. You can't cookie-cutter it. In other words, you've got to introduce people to Jesus at the moment that they're hungry for Jesus. You introduce them to Jesus, and what happens, happens. Some people are going to meet Jesus at the end of their rope. Some people are going to meet Jesus trying to do good, think they're doing good. Some people are going to meet him in church. Some people are going to meet him out on the street. Some people are going to meet him in prison. Because we all sit here right now in this congregation, we all have a different testimony of how we met Jesus and what brought us to Jesus. Are you all with me? In making disciples and helping people and doing what we're called to do in life, we cannot cookie-cutter this. All we have to do is introduce people to Jesus, show them Jesus, and then see what happens. Sit back and let the Holy Ghost do it. Because if you start lining it up, and you start trying to say it's got to look, got to look like this, and it's got to happen like this, and this is got to happen to this, this over here and like this, then what happens is you just became religious, and you just started setting Jesus in a box, and you just, you've just become what... We've all preached against. So you've got to know this, that when, when a person is introduced to Jesus, the composition of their heart is made up of either one of two things, wax or clay. Think about this. You go out there and you take a, a, a block of wax and you take a block of clay and you set it out and the sun rises, and the sun comes up, and the sun shines upon both those pieces of material. One of them is going to melt, and the other one is going to become hard. What happens in life is when God shines, when He is exposed. How does how is He exposed? Through preaching, through Bible studies, through you sharing with your family. When 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 God appears into the hearts of man, their heart will either melt because it's their time, and their heart will melt like a piece of wax, and they'll get saved or they'll become hard. It's not God determining it, determining it. It is the composition within the person's heart that determines it. Never forget that. Never forget that in your job and in your task in life of, 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 of preaching Jesus and telling people about Jesus and, and showing forth God in life. Never forget, it's not, you cannot control the what's inside of a person's heart. You're only responsible for one thing. That's to sow seed. Hear what I'm saying? You're only responsible for one thing, to be a seed sower. When somebody says, I don't know what to do, you don't say, I don't either. Now, dealing with family sometimes is difficult. Okay? But I've learned over the years is to wait for the opportunity and to be sowing seed you know, I mean, because you're sowing seed when, when they know who you are. I mean, it's pretty obvious in my family, they know I'm a pastor. Right? So when I say the blessing at Thanksgiving, I say the blessing. Right? 
And every one of them knows if they're in trouble, come talk to me. And I sow seed after that. When someone says such and this, and I say, yeah, well, we can't go kill them. I know we all want to, but we can't do that. Sowing seed. You don't have to preach to sow seed. Right? Okay. So Mark 4 is your four points about the types of people's hearts. So when you're sowing seed and you're trying to make disciples and you're letting this move of God that's happened in your life flow in others, it's, you, you just got to recognize there's, there's going to be four types of hearts. Don't make it complicated. Just realize there's four types of hearts. Let's read it. Mark 4.13. He said, do you not understand this parable? Then how will you not understand all the parables? The sower sows the word. That's you. That's you. You're a word sower. And these are the ones that by the wayside where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan comes immediately and takes away the word that is sown in their heart. So there's just people that are on the wayside. I saw this. I saw this YouTube video that really touched my heart. About tears in my eyes when I watched it. It was these two young men. And they were walking down the street. And there was a homeless guy. And he was a young guy. And he was sitting in front of a music store. And they went up to him and they asked him if they could sit down with him. And they sat down. And uh, they began to talk to him, and he was a young man that had fallen on bad times, got in an argument with his dad, had to leave the house. He'd left the house. He'd been out on the streets, found out that he was playing in music in the subways, and he uh, got some other homeless people, threw his guitar into the tracks, broke his guitar. He didn't have anything to do, and he just went downhill. He had no way to make any money. He didn't have any, you know, nothing, and he was just there sitting out in front of a music store. They asked him, so why are you sitting in front of the music store? And they said, well, I don't have any money to go into the, there and buy it, but every now and then I, try, I sneak in there so I can play a guitar just to keep myself in practice because I've got to have a guitar, but I'm just trying to find a way to get some money. He said, well, how are you going to get the money? Well, I don't know, but I'm just, just, I'm just hoping. He said, so they said, well, come on, let's go in the, let's go in the music store. And they said, the, he, the, the homeless guy said, no, 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 I can't go in there. They've already thrown me out. They told me not to ever come back in. So he said, no, come on, you're going in with us. And so they took him in. They told him, said, this guy's with us. He went around. So what about this guitar? You like this? Oh, this guitar then. Oh, that's just like the one I lost. And so they get this guitar off. They said, okay, you like this guitar? Play the guitar. And the guy played it played amazing. He said, you like this guitar? He said, yeah. He said, okay. Uh, well, we're going to buy that guitar for you. And he's like, why'd you keep buy this? It's like $400. He said, you're not going to buy You can't buy this guitar for me. He said, you know, we're going to buy it for you. And so the guy was just, he started just crying. And so they went up to the sales desk and they told the guy, said, we're going to buy this guitar. We're buying it for him. And just went and got $400, paid the guy bought the guitar for him, hand it, turned around, handed it to him, said, now, now you, you, we believe in you. They, just, they didn't say anything about Jesus. It was kind of interesting. But they said, we believe in you, and we believe that you can make it, and we believe that you have the ability to do it. And so now here's, we're giving you a start. And we just want you to know that uh, we believe in you, and you can do it. And the guy just cried and cried and cried, gave him the guitar and went out. And I thought to myself, isn't that amazing? People have general, I know those guys were Christians. But the way that they were choosing to sow seed showed just nothing but pure love. Okay? It was amazing. See, there's so many ways to sow seed, but some seed's on the wayside. I sowed some seed the other day to a person, and I guarantee you, I, it, it didn't, I, I knew it wasn't going to bear fruit. Right? But it's okay, because I had, a, I had an ulterior motive to sow seed to this person. I want him to go away. No, I'm serious. This guy was scary. And I wanted him to go away, and I didn't like it. And so I said, I want to give him money so he'll go away so everybody will be safe. And I felt like that was the righteous seed to sow. And I, the guy get it going, just go, just get out. 
Follow me? The point is, some seeds on the hard, hard ground. You're going to go speak to some people. You're going to sow some seed on there, and it's going to fall to the wayside. Hey, even bar ditches can grow flowers. All right? And then it says here, these are ones that are sown on stony ground too. When they hear the word, immediately they receive it with gladness, and they have no root in themselves, and they endure only for a time. Afterwards, when tribulation, persecution arises for the word's sake, immediately they stumble. I'm reminded of this every time I see a rock. You know, like you're outside and you see a rock and it's got a little crack and some dirt and there's just a little plant growing out of it, some little something. I'm always reminded of seed that's sown on hard ground, okay? Because it still will produce, but we all know there's not enough dirt in there to have enough moisture to really keep it going. But every now and then you see where there's a, a, a little tree, a little something got in there and got started in that rock and kept fighting its way out and it kept growing in them before long. It broke the rock. And I'm always believing that I use it as an imagery in people, even though they may be hard ground and I'm sowing seed, I'm just believing God that, they'll, that, that, that one will stick. Hello? One will stick and it'll split the rock and they can get down to some good ground. Amen? So then the, th the third person, it says here, um, now these are the ones sown among thorns. They are the ones who hear the word and cares of the world, the deceitfulness of riches and the desires of other things enter in and choke the word and it becomes unfruitful. Now we always need to be careful about this third person, this third type of heart, because every one of us can fall into it. You can say, oh, I'm good ground. I'm good ground, but you better watch it because if you don't maintain good ground, thorns and thistles grow up. How many know you have to weed your garden? Right? Isn't it amazing you can do so much? How about, how about like what we do right here? We, see, we clear land, all right? You go in there and you clear all the cedar out. You clear it all out. Oh, it looks so beautiful. Grass springs up, and then what happens? Little cedars start growing up, huh? And you got to maintain it. All you do is knock the big stuff down so you can get in there and maintain it because it's going to be coming back, and no matter how many years you cut, it's still coming back. That, little, that seed's in the ground. I want to tell you something. We all have to watch out because of the cares of the world, the deceitfulness of riches, and the desires of other things will enter into your heart and choke out the word, and you will become you know, this, this ground of thorny ground. All of us. We've got to continually be weeding our gardens, okay? But you still sow in seed, all right? And then, of course, the fourth ground is the good ground. These are the ones that they sow in good ground. Those who hear the word accept it. They bear fruit, 30, 60, and some 100 fold. Amen? Okay, so let me just speed up here and go on because I want to finish this because I hadn't even got to what I thought was the good part. <clears throat> So Proverbs 4.23, we got to keep our heart with all diligence because out of it comes forth all the issues of life. Amen? So look at the person beside you and say, you got to keep your heart. So in discipling people, we've got to realize when we're talking to our brothers and sisters, if you see some weeds in their life, you might want to show them that they're growing cuckaburs. I once worked on a place and, and, and there was cuckaburs everywhere and the person didn't seem to care about them. And I said to him, I said, you, you know, you really ought to do something about that because you've got a crop of them right here and they're going to spread everywhere. And they're like, well, what difference does it make? They couldn't understand that 
they were going about to, you know, the, to me, the biggest demon of hell, a cockaburr, was right there, and they needed to kill it, spray it. And so finally, I kept telling them about it, and they finally did. And I was like, okay, way to go. Now it won't spread all over the whole ranch because you've allowed these things to seed out. All right. So we always have to be watching our heart because the issues that come, right? Okay. Now, let me just, time's sake here, let me just give you these scriptures. No, put this one up. Proverbs 23.18. I want to end with this. Proverbs 23.18. For surely there is a hereafter, and your hope will not be cut off. Oh, Jocko, on the start of this thing, he said, I believe in a hereafter. Church, listen to me. We start, got to have a sense in our life of believing in a hereafter. Not just saying, oh, well, you know, yes, I believe in heaven. And it's like it's a million light years away. Heaven is really very, very close. All of us sitting in here today, you don't know, you don't know what is before you in life. We all need to know that if we... If, if my life ends today, I know there's a hereafter. And then I'm stepping from life into life. Do you hear what I'm saying? There's no death to a Christian. I'm stepping from life into life. But the reality of knowing there is a hereafter. Folks, I'm telling you, there is a change going to come someday. I don't know when. I don't know if it's within our lives or not. But there's a change going to come in this age of grace that we live in is going to cease. It's going to stop. And the next age is going to be known as the millennial reign of Christ. And in that age, there is a, the hereafter is real. You're, you're walking in it. But there is a hereafter. I want, to, I want each and every one of us today to leave with the, 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 the feeling and the presence of a hereafter because I want to tell you something. It is real. Those people, you're out there. How many tragedies do we hear in life? How many, you know, do you know, I was looking up statistics the other day, and I don't want to quote them because I'm probably going to get them wrong, but I was shocked at how many people die every day in the United States. I want to say it was 1.3 million. But I, 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 I thought, how could that be? But taking in total, not people that die from accidents, people that die of you know, physical problems, people that die of age or whatever, you know, go on. Total deaths. Just think about how many. Think about what is going on in heaven with souls of people dying across this world every day. The hereafter is real. Heaven is real. Yet, Revelation 6, verse 12 tells us that there is going to be a, an individuals on this earth when Jesus comes back, when the heavens roll up, when, when the heavens roll up like a scroll that are going to literally hide themselves in the mountains and say that the rocks fall on us. We do not want to look at the face of God. That's a hard heart. That's a hard heart. Okay? But listen to me. I heard Billy Graham say this the other day. I had to go look it up because it caused me to say, what? Never thought about that in that light. But in Mark chapter 5, when 
Jesus was meeting with legion and he was going to cast the devil out. It says that the demons cried out and said, look, there's a large herd of swine over there. Send us into the swine. And he said, hell is so bad that demons don't even want to go back. They'd rather go into filthy pigs. And when he said that, I thought, I never really thought about that scripture like that. The demons are saying, no, 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 don't, don't send us back to hell. Send us into the swine. And the truth and the reality, folks, has to be heavy upon us that hell is so horrible. It's eternal separation from God. There is no peace. There is no joy. There is no party going on in hell because it is the lack of the presence of God. God's goodness, God's mercy, God's grace. It is the lack of it. It is void of God. That's what's in hell. Now, how bad could that be? Well, it's so bad, demons don't even want to go back home. They'd rather get cast into some swine. So, what are we going to do? All right? Each and every one of us have had a move of God in our lives at some point. You may have gotten over your own heart. You may need to go do some weed eating today, some hoeing up, right? Don't spray Roundup. Just pull it out. But according to Matthew 10, 16, Jesus said, Behold, I send you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. Well, that doesn't sound too good. Sheep don't have very much defensive mechanisms, especially compared to a wolf. But so he said, Be wise as a serpent. And harmless as a dove. But beware of men, for they will deliver you up to councils, and they'll scourge you in the synagogues, and you will be brought before governors and kings for my sake, as a testimony to them and to the Gentiles. But when they deliver you up, don't worry about what you're going to speak, for it will be given to you at that hour what you should speak. It, it is not you that will speak, but the Spirit of the Father who speaks in you. He said, look, folks, we're going out today. We're going back out into the world. We're going to go out there and you're a sheep in the midst of wolves. But he said, don't worry about it because I got you covered. I'm with you. I'm going to hold you with my strong right arm. And when you speak and you're so in word, don't worry about your knowledge and all because it's by my spirit that it's done. John 6, 6, 63, Jesus said, the words that I speak, the spirit and the life. He said, I'm going to speak. It's going to be me speaking through you. So don't worry about it because those words aren't going to fail. Are you with me? What's coming out of your mouth don't have to think it all up. You don't have to figure it all out. Just speak my word, and it's going to go out and do its effect because that's how I'm going to take care of you, and it's not, you're not going to be heard. And the last thing, Matthew 9, 35, Jesus said, Therefore pray, for the harvest truly is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into the harvest. Our job is to be praying. Our job is to be praying. For laborers to go into the harvest. Amen. Tracy's story about the guy with the apple crop. We want to pray for a good harvest. I'm telling you right now in this season, statistics say there's more people who commit suicide this time of year than any other time. When it should be a happy time, a joyful time, a time when families get together, a time when there's refreshing and renewing and restoring, when there's good things happening and going on in lives. That's what should be taking place. But people yet are discouraged and depressed, and they kill themselves because they think they have no hope. They see no future. What we need to be doing is praying for harvest 
of souls. A harvest of people that will have good ground. And all our job is to do is sow seed. That's what our job is, is to sow seed. It's not our job to make the seed work. It's not our job to, 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 to get it in. The, it's just our job to sow it. Now, how many of y'all have the ability, if I gave you a, a, a pail with some seeds in it, you could at least walk outside and y'all can do this motion? Huh? I don't know that this makes any, any sense, but it's a funny story. My dad used to always be convinced that when you planted okra, okra seeds, you know, in a garden, that you had to soak them in milk. I have no idea if that has any reason to anything, but he was convinced you soak the seeds in milk and then you plant them. So y'all know what an okra seed looks like. It's not real big, you know. And I'll never forget, he soaked these okra seeds, had them in a little bowl. Next day, we were going to go plant. You know, you take them out one at a time, put one in, one in. So he made me plant them, right? And so I set the bowl down to put the dirt over. And when I turned back, it was gone. And the dog was sitting there going. <laughs> I wasn't responsible. I couldn't be my, my fault the dog ate the okra seed, okay? Drank the milk and ate all the seeds. Daddy couldn't get mad at me. It was the dog's fault. It was his dog. You're not responsible for her. You're just responsible to sow the seed, not to make the seed produce. Amen? And if the dog eats it, the dog eats it. But we got to be praying. Amen? Every one of y'all are well equipped because each and every one of you have had a move of God in your life. Now it's time to go back and look at it. Time to check out our own hearts. Time to look and investigate and say, okay, what are the issues coming to my heart? Is everything okay? And start looking at it. Do a little weed eating. Do a little pruning. And start praying, God, let there be a harvest this year in my family. Lord, let there be a harvest this year in my family. Let my family see and come to know Jesus truly this year. Amen? Amen. Put your Bibles up and stand up if you would. Can I have my prayer team come down, please? For those of you listening and watching out on the broadcast, wherever you are, if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you've never made Him the Lord of your life, you've never had a move of God in your life, you've never encountered Him like, like what I preach today, well then wherever you are right there, I'm telling you, Jesus is coming in front of you today. Just call out to Him and say, Jesus, come into my life. I want you to be the Lord of my life. I want you to be my Savior. You know, church, all of you that are in here, Listen to me. I said this last week, and I want to say it again. You know, Jesus went and publicly did something for us. He died on a cross for us publicly. And if you're in here today, and you, you, you're maybe being challenged about the move of God in your life, maybe you've just been, maybe you're just a good person. But listen to me, good people don't get into the hereafter because they're good people. Good people get into the hereafter because Jesus is the Lord and Savior of their life. Amen? And so maybe, maybe today you're being challenged. Well, we've got a prayer team up here, and they're here for a reason. They're not here because they want to look pretty. They're not here because they're, they're, they're so smart. They're here because they're helping me and helping Jesus today. That if you're out here and you don't know him as your personal Lord and Savior, you have not had a move of God in your life, you need to publicly come forward and go to them and say, hey, will you pray with me? 
I'm not big on, on, on a dog and pony show. Listen to me, church. I'm believing for the power and the conviction of the Holy Spirit to be upon each and every one of you. And if the Holy Ghost is convicting you, do not leave this building. Come up here and pray. Come up here and pray and make Jesus the Lord of your life today. It'd be the smartest thing you've ever in life done. Amen? The rest of you in here, I want to pray over you. How many of y'all are willing to be a seed sower? Raise your hand. Okay. So then y'all are all guilty. Got your, got your hands held up here. You signed up. I'm going to pray over you. I want you to, I'm going to pray that you have an awareness and a keenness in your mind this week, that you're attuned to the Spirit of God, that everywhere you go this week, that you're going to quickly see the opportunity to sow the seed. Okay? Like I said, who knows what it's going to look like? Don't try to put it all on a book. Don't think it's, it's, you know, you're going to do it this way or that way. Let the Holy Ghost do it. Amen? So grab that person's hand beside you. Now, Father, I just declare right now this morning in Jesus' name that as we leave this building today and we go out into the world, that, Lord, we are going to do what your word says. We're going to be seed sowers. We're going to pray for the Lord. We pray the Lord of the harvest right now to send out laborers into the harvest. So send us out, Lord, and let us be good seed sowers. Let us realize that the seed's going to fall on different types of hearts, but it doesn't really make any difference because we're not in charge of that. You're in charge of that. We're only in charge of sowing seed. I declare, Lord, just like we saw about all these men's lives who had a move of God in their life, I declare today that we're going to see our families. We're going to see all those around us everywhere that we go. They're going to, people are going to have a move of God in their lives. They're going to come to know you, Jesus. And so, Lord, I pray blessings upon each and every person. I declare we will not be distracted with the cares of the world, the deceitfulness of riches and the lust of other things, but we will go out into the world with a clear focus to be great seed sowers for you, Lord. And we give you praise for it right now in Jesus' mighty name. Amen and amen. God bless you, church. We're here to pray for you up front. If you just need prayer, we're still here to pray for you. Hello, this is Robert Richards, and you're listening to The Waterhole, our weekly broadcast, which is now available on iTunes and all major podcast platforms. You can also watch the weekly video broadcast on our YouTube channel. Link's in the description. I pray this has been a blessing to you, and if you've enjoyed this message, please share this with a friend. God bless you, and remember, no matter where you are and what you've done, Jesus loves you.